this morning. The book of Matthew, we have gone as far as chapter 16. If you will turn there, we'll begin at the top of the chapter in verse 1. So Matthew chapter 16, open up your Bibles. Had somebody last week, they, they said they were visiting a church with a friend, a large church. Said nobody had any Bibles. I just thought I'd throw that out because I love to hear the, the, the turning of the uh, pages of the Bible. So, I mean, they love the Lord. They're saved. But bring your Bible. Bring your Bibles, okay? If you don't have a good Bible, we got one in the bookstore, Word of Today Bibles. They're at cost. Be sure to look at that. If you can't afford one, come talk to me. I'll get you a Bible. One condition, you read it, all right? That's what I ask. But have your Bibles with you. Turn the pages. I love it to hear the turning of the pages in the Scriptures. Chapter 16 of Matthew, the first book of the New Testament. We do read, Then the Pharisees and Sadducees came, testing him, that is Jesus, asked that he would show them a sign from heaven. Father, as we get, as we're settled in our seats and we've had a time of worship and very grateful for that, I just pray that you would, Lord, um, just take your word and, and touch our hearts. We know that all scripture is inspired by you and it, it is profitable for, for correction, for reproof, for doctrine, for in, equipping us for every good work, for instruction in righteousness. And Lord, it is profitable and beneficial for us to come and read what Jesus says here. It is for us, Lord, that we can be comforted, that we might become wise. And Lord, I pray that we would be teachable right now as we go over this text. And that we would, Lord, just receive from you the things that you desire to show us. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So once again, as we read, that the religious leaders of the nation are coming to Jesus. And they're trying to discredit him. They're testing him. They're trying to somehow expose him as a fraud. And they're asking for a sign in heaven. Now, we know that Jesus has been working signs and miracles. He fed the 4,000, as we read last week, the 5,000 in chapter 14. He'd been healing the people of every kind of sickness and disease and freeing the demoniacs. So as Jesus, he fed the 5,000 in chapter 14. He's at the height of his popularity. The people were wanting to come and force him to take him as king, as their Messiah. He dismissed the crowds. We know from John's gospel, as I've mentioned, that it was near Passover. So the people would make their way up to Jerusalem for the feast. And you know the news is spreading that Jesus, the miracles that he's working and uh, the story of the feeding of the 5,000. And so the religious leaders from Jerusalem, as we read going into chapter 15, they come up from Jerusalem to Galilee and they're watching Jesus. They're, they're, they're watching the disciples. And they begin to accuse them of, you guys don't keep the traditions of the elders. You don't do the ceremonial washings before you eat. And they were very offended by that. And, of course, Jesus responded to them by saying that you make the word of God of no effect by your traditions. They're your traditions. You don't keep the commandments of God. And you guys are, you know, blind leaders that are leading the blind. And if the blind leads, the blind both will fall into a, a ditch. 
And Jesus goes on to say, then as he turns to his disciples and to the multitude, that, hey, that is not what goes into you that defiles you. It's what comes out of you because out of your mouth shows the abundance of the heart. He then would leave the Galilee region, and he would travel, as we saw a couple weeks ago, up to that area of Tyre and Sidon, and he ministered to that Canaanite woman who had a need who came to him, displayed great faith as he commended her faith, and, and she had a daughter that was vexed with the demon, and he delivered that demon from her. And then after that miracle, he would skirt the Galilee region. He would go into the area of the Decapolis, as we saw last week. The Decapolis was Gentile territory, and as he's in the Decapolis, he would feed the 4,000, and, and then he would get into a boat. As we concluded chapter 15, he would come back to that uh, region of Magdala, uh, and that's where they believe where Mary Magdalene was from. It's just really right around the corner from Capernaum, very beautiful spot nestled along the Sea of Galilee on the northwest side. And they've done excavations there recently and made some pretty interesting discoveries. We don't have time to go into it. But as Jesus comes back to Magdala, to Galilee, the religious leaders are waiting for him. And once again, they come and they're asking for this sign. We want to see a sign. And what they're really asking for is they want to see a supernatural, spectacular sign. Call down fire from heaven. We want to see a host of angels, that is. We want to see you part the Sea of Galilee, something like that. And you recall that the religious leaders never denied the miracles that Jesus had performed. They were saying that he does it by the power of Beelzebub. So we want you to do something very spectacular uh, to prove that you're the son of God. We want to see some sign from heaven. And they keep pushing him on this because they did the same thing back in chapter 12. Show us a sign. Now, at this time, Mark's gospel records that when they asked for this sign, uh, that Jesus sighed deeply in the spirit. And you can just imagine as Jesus, he knows their motives. He knows what they're up to. Just show us a sign. And he just... And we know how that is, don't we? If somebody's asked you something that really bothers you or you know that they come uh, not with uh, good motives or they're just trying to press you, you just kind of sigh or maybe perhaps you've seen somebody do it and they're bothered by the question or what it is that somebody is doing. And you see that in the answer that Jesus gives to them as we read, he answered and said to them in verse 2, when it is evening, you say, it will be fair weather for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. In verse 4, a wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. So as Jesus gives this answer to them, he says that you guys, you can discern the weather, you can discern the face of the sky, when it's going to be a good day or when it's going to be a stormy day. But you cannot discern the signs which speak that Messiah is with you. Now, you may recall that John the Baptist, when he was in prison, that he sent a couple of his disciples to Jesus 
to ask them, are you the coming one or do we look for another? And you remember the response of Jesus to the disciples. You go back and you tell John, tell him what you have seen, what you hear, the blind see, the main walk, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And you know the prophecies of Isaiah that speak of my work, of, of my ministry. Go tell John. And you know the, the ministry that's spoken of me by the other prophets of old. So the miracles, the signs, remember this, that we read about that Jesus has been performing were in validation of who he was, the ministry of Messiah. So here these guys come. They come demanding this sign, and Jesus knows that they were testing him. He knows their motives and their hearts. He knows that they're just trying to discredit him. They, they don't understand that Jesus was not performing wonders and miracles just for the sake of working signs, and he was not a puppet on strings to perform at their command. When Jesus did miracles in healing, in feeding the people, he did it because he cared for the people. And you recall in chapter 9 that he looked at the multitudes and was moved with compassion. That's, that means deep in his heart he was moved for them. And he would work to help people, those who had need. He didn't do miracles just to do some spectacular display of power. He worked in a way that we have seen that they glorified God. Matter of fact, we read that last week, didn't we, in chapter 15, verse 31. Let me read it to you again. So the multitude marveled when they saw the mute speaking, the main made whole, the lame walking, and the blind seeing, and they glorified the God of Israel. So Jesus, as you go through the Gospels, you'll see how he worked to where they glorified God. And remember that in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus said to you and to me, that let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now keep that in mind because that is a truth for us today. We, we don't do the works of God, whatever he has you to do. And you might be thinking, well, I don't do miracles, but you can serve him. You can minister to others. Others. You can be used of the Lord, and whatever it is that we do for him, it's not to glorify us, to exalt us. It's to let our light so shine that they may see your good works, God working through you, that they glorify him. And Jesus was able to do that, and we're going to see that he's going to speak about the hypocrisy of the Pharisees who are always wanting to elevate themselves before the people. So Jesus here, as he says, no sign's going to be given to you. It's a wicked and adulterous generation that seeks after a sign. The only sign that will be given is the sign of Jonah. And you recall in chapter 12 that Jesus would say that just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a large fish, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You want to sign this generation? Here's the sign. And for every generation, that is the sign of my resurrection. Now, this is important as we stop at this time because people come to you and to me today, don't they? And they say, what sign, what proof do you have? You Christians, you say that Jesus is the only way to heaven. He's the only means of salvation. What makes you say that Christianity is the only true religion? Well, we know because Jesus did say in that upper room the day before he would go to the cross, he said, I am the way. He didn't say, I am a way. He said, I am the way, the truth, 
the, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, that's a very simple statement, but it's also a very exclusive statement. And the next day, he would take that cross, and he would go to that place of execution, and he would be pinned to that cross as he hung between heaven and earth, and he would die for sinful humanity. He was put into a grave, and he rose again after three days. Now, we're going to see later in the chapter that Jesus is going to, to speak for the first time to his disciples that I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be handed over to the chief priests and the elders, and I'm going to be put to death, but I'm going to rise again after three days. Now keep in mind that here, Jesus, very popular still. It was just a short time before this that the multitudes wanted to crown him, take him by force as Messiah, because they're only coming for political, material, physical reasons. Hey, he'll heal us. He'll feed us. He'll throw off the yoke of Rome. Uh, we'll never have any problems again. But the people didn't understand, and, and the disciples didn't understand until after the resurrection that he was going to take care of the greatest need that any man or any woman has, and that is to be forgiven of sin. I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to die for sinful humanity, but I'm going to rise again after three days. And this is what's very, very important as we talk to people. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father because he's the only one that went to the cross to die for your sins. And he validated what he did on the cross by rising from the grave. There is an empty tomb. And any other religious leader that declared throughout human history that he was the way or she was the way to, to heaven or to eternal life are still in their grave. Only Jesus conquered sin and death. And Jesus validated, again, what he did on the cross, and he proved that he is the Son of God, that he is alive at the right hand of the Father. And we have that truth that we can declare to others. All other religious leaders are still in their tombs, still in their grave. Only Jesus rose from the grave and conquered sin and death. So you want a sign? You want to know why Christianity is true? There's an empty tomb in Jerusalem, and he rose from the grave. The second thing to consider here, this is very important as we stop here, is that Jesus said that you can discern the face of this guy, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. You cannot discern the coming of the Son of Man. In the triumphal entry of Jesus, we're going to see that as the people are crying out again, that they're, they're saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They're looking for the kingdom of God to be ushered in immediately is what Luke's narrative tells us. They're wondering, is he going to overthrow Rome at that time? But as the people are hailing him as the Messiah, as he rides into Jerusalem on the back uh, of that little fold of a donkey, that we see that, that the religious leaders are upset. They know that they're ascribing to him the title of Messiah as the people are crying out. And the disciples are there. And they said to Jesus, tell your disciples to be quiet. And Jesus said, if they are silent, the very rocks are going to cry out because this is the day of my visitation. You should have known. Going back to Daniel chapter 9, the 70 weeks of Daniel, after the command to rebuild and restore Jerusalem, shall be 483 years that Messiah the Prince will come on the scene. This is the day of your visitation. You should have known. But they weren't discerning. Jesus said he's going to come back. And when he said he's going to come back, he's going to come back. 
And the Bible talks a whole lot about the days in which we are living in presently. And unfortunately, what I am seeing in a trend today, and I'm not saying this to be critical or, or anything like that, an honest evaluation, because I talk to a whole lot of people, that we see in the church today that there is more of a moving away from discerning the times and more of ignoring the times that we are in. And there are churches and there are Christians that think there is no rapture of the church. That's what they're teaching. There's going to be no tribulation period. It's already happened. Replacement theology has grown in evangelical Christianity to where Israel doesn't play a part in end times and that the church is Israel. Uh, there's no millennium reign of Jesus Christ, all millennials. Those things are growing more popular in the church today. And the Bible, hundreds of verses that speak about how the Lord's going to come back and restore Israel. Hundreds of verses and whole chapters speaking about how Israel is going to be restored, how there's going to be a millennium reign. Matter of fact, when you go to Isaiah chapter 2, that in the latter times, these things will be fulfilled, Isaiah. And he begins to talk about the day of the Lord. He talks about the millennium reign. When John is on the island of Patmos, the angel said, John, write these things down that must come to pass. Not they might come to pass, or it's just an allegory. Write these things down that must come to pass. And we see what is going to unfold before us. There is more of an acceptance of kingdom now theology, a new apostolic reformation that a lot of young people are, are buying into, that the church is going to grow, and it's going to grow and become all-powerful, and there's going to be super apostles and prophets, and we're going to take over the world, and we're going to, to bring massive healings and go into the hospitals and heal people, and, and then we're going to usher in the second coming. The Bible doesn't speak anything of that. Matter of fact, Paul the Apostle says that in the last days it's going to be perilous times. Evil men and imposters are going to grow worse and worse. They're going to have corrupt minds. There are going to be counterfeits that are on the scene. And as he's writing his last words before Paul the Apostle is executed, he says, Timothy, this is what you must do. You must continue in the scriptures that you've learned from childhood. And that is an exhortation for you and for me here today in the days in which we're living in. And as we are going to travel through Matthew, we're going to see that Jesus is going to talk about the signs of his coming to his disciples in what is called the Olivet Discourse, recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in Luke's narrative, as we read it, we see that Jesus says some very unique things because Jesus said that what you and I are to do is we are to be the wise and faithful servant that is looking for the master's return. He says, do that because I come at a time that you least expect. I come at an hour that you do not know. That is a commandment of Jesus. It's not a suggestion. I've had people say to me, even leaders in churches and pastors, that you shouldn't really talk about the return of the Lord. You know, we don't do that. And you Christians that are looking for the Lord to come back or the rapture of the church, that you're just looking for an escape and stick your head in the sand and all of this. And I respond by saying, you know what? The scripture says that we are to be the wise and faithful servant that's looking for the master's return. You are wise as you are looking for the imminent return of Jesus Christ. The doctrine of imminency is all over the New Testament. That we are to be looking we are warned over and over again, don't go to sleep spiritually. 
Be sober. Be vigilant. Don't be overtaken. He, his coming is like a, a, a thief in the night that will overtake you. Jesus says, don't be weighed down with carousing and worldliness and the cares of this world that that day should overtake you. You're to be watching, paying attention. I come at a time that you least expect. Be the faithful servant, and it isn't you sticking your head in the sand. You continue to serve the Lord and be used of him. He said, occupy till I come. But that is a commandment of the Lord. And it's interesting that in Luke's narrative of the Olivet Discourses, Jesus is talking about the tribulation period and the signs. He says there's going to be wars and rumors of wars. There's going to be famines and pestilence. There's going to be men's heart that are going to be failing. And there's going to be perplexity of the nations in distress. Do you think we're seeing those things today? And I am very determined, and what my prayer is, is that I have before you the return of the Lord constantly and consistently as we see in the Scriptures, as we go through the Scriptures, because it should bring comfort to you. Men's heart are failing today. I see more people that are anxious and worried and upset and full of fear and have a sense of hopelessness. As we see the things around us, listen, I am concerned for our nation just as you are in the direction that we are going. It bothers me. But Jesus said it's going to happen. There's going to be perplexity of nations in distress. The nations are going to be in such distress that they're not going to know what to do. And we are going to see a movement towards that to where the world's going to look for a leader. And they're going to find that leader in one that is called the man of sin, the son of perdition. He's called the Antichrist. And turn to him. Jesus said that lawlessness will abound. That's a sign. These are the birth pangs. They're going to increase in frequency and intensity. Uh, that's the birth pangs. And it's going to culminate into a period of time called the tribulation period. It isn't going to get more rosy and cheery. Lawlessness will abound. The hearts and the love of many are going to grow cold. There's all kinds of things that are told to us and the signs that we will go over. And that's why it's amazing. That's why you don't want to miss that study in Ezekiel because Ezekiel is going to be looking down through history and he's going to talk about how Israel comes back into the land and they're going to, they're going to rebuild the ancient cities and they're going to plant the desert and it's going to begin to bloom. And every time that we go to Israel, I've been going to Israel for over 20 years, that the desert is blooming more. They're rebuilding the ancient cities. And Amos says that when they go back into the land, they're not going to be plucked out again. That's what God's word declares. So to say that Israel doesn't play a, a part in the end times, they're the epicenter of end time prophecy. That's why we watch Israel. They're back into the land, as God said, after 2,000 years that come back into the land. They're not going to be plucked out. And God has a plan for them, and he has a plan for the church. And he's going to take us out of and away from the hour of tribulation that shall come upon the whole earth to test those who dwell on the earth. People say, oh, well, the rapture, that word rapture is not in the Bible. It is in the Latin Bible. That we shall be caught up. The Greek word harpazo is the Latin word rapturus, to meet the Lord in the air. Very clear to me. So I want you guys to be discerning of the days that we are in. And listen. Not to, to scare you, but to prepare you. Not to trouble your heart, but to comfort your heart. And when Paul wrote about the rapture of the church and the day of the Lord, he says, you are not, you know, 
given to wrath, but to obtain salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Comfort one another with these words. And Jesus also said, when you begin to see these things come to pass, look up and rejoice, for your redemption draws near. Listen, let's be wise in the days in which we are in. We are in very unique times. I know it's very cold. It's winter right now, but in the summer, we know how it is here in, in Weld County. We see the storm clouds gathering over the mountains, and we know that they're going to come. There's a storm coming that's going to hit us when we see those clouds. Listen, storm clouds are gathering. They are all around us. The signs are all around us, and they're going to increase, and we're going to see these things come to pass. And as we are ones that we are wise in the days in which we're living in, that our hearts are going to be, remain to be strengthened rather than failing. Remember Jesus said to you know, his disciples last week in the feeding of 4,000, let's feed them spiritual food lest they faint on the way home. So let's continue to eat spiritual food taken in the scriptures, being wise of the days in which we're in, and to look up and rejoice for our redemption draws near. We are in a time for the first time in 2,000 years that the church in Israel is on the scene. Incredible days. And as we go through Ezekiel, we're going to talk about prophecies that have been fulfilled in our lifetime and in the ultimate fulfillment and the, and the, uh, the culmination of those fulfillments that are coming here. In Ezekiel 38 and 39, you don't want to miss these things because you're going to be used to not only as you are being fed the truth and discerning the days in which we are in, but you are going to be used to be able to feed others. Remember Jesus said to the disciples, you give them something to eat. And you will be able to give truth to them and help them and be used in the days in which we are living in. So a lot coming up as we continue through Matthew talking about those things. But in verse 5, now when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. And then Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it is because we have taken no bread. So as we discussed in our previous studies, you might recall that leaven in the scripture, it speaks of carnality and sin and evil. Paul uses the analogy of leaven when addressing sin that was in the church at Corinth. He says, don't you know that a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? And in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, when addressing the church that had tolerated sin, he says, purge out the leaven that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, he keeps writing, let's keep the feast, not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. In other words, when you go to the book of Exodus, that when Passover was instituted, they were to celebrate, the Lord also instituted, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. And during the Feast of Unleavened Bread that they celebrated for that week, they were to eat their bread without any leaven in it, and they were to also take all the leaven out of their house, out of their cupboards, out their kitchens, no leaven in the house. And there's a real important lesson for us. Listen, let's purge the leaven out of our hearts and out of our lives and in your homes. If there's anything in your home and in our lives that causes us to sin, to be carnal, uh, iniquity in our lives, we are to purge that out. He says, don't you know a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump? It'll just begin to spread and corrupt 
And so Jesus telling his disciples a warning here. Beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And the disciples respond by saying, oh, no, we forgot to bring bread. We forgot to bring the bagels. And, and once again, they don't understand what Jesus is saying. And I think that Jesus, as he speaks, you know, of the spiritual realm, they oftentimes would think, well, he's speaking on the, the physical realm. And we see that in the Gospels happening. For example, in John chapter 3, Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says that we know that you're of God, but, you know, because no one can do the things that you do unless God were with him. And Jesus, who called Nicodemus the master teacher of Israel, he says, Nicodemus, if one wants to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And that floored Nicodemus, because here was Nicodemus, who was the master teacher of Israel at that time. That he was one that he taught the people the law and the sacrifices and, and, and taught the Old Testament and, and all of the, uh, the things of Judaism. And here is one that he knows comes from God, says, you must be born again. And he's struggling with that. He's going, what do you mean? Can a man enter his mother's womb a second time? And Jesus said, ah, oh, Nicodemus, that that which is born of the flesh is flesh, but that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Don't marvel that I say to you that you must be born again. You turn the page, John chapter 4. The Samaritan woman there at Jacob's well. And as he's talking to her about living water, she says, where do you get this water? The well is deep and you don't have a bucket. And Jesus said, if you drink of this well, you're going to thirst again. But if you drink of the water that I have to give, living water, you'll never thirst again. Remember in John chapter 7 that he stood up there in Jerusalem and he cried out to the people, if anyone thirsts, do you come to me and drink? And out of your innermost will flow torrents of living water. You see, the question to ask is, what well are you drinking from? And if you drink of the well of the world, you're going to be thirsty over and over and over again. But it, Jesus has living water to give to us. And you recall John chapter 6, that after defeating the 5,000, that the people are looking for Jesus. He said, you're only coming to me because you were fed with bread. You need to, to come to the bread that comes from heaven. And he says, unless you eat of my body and drink of my blood, you can have no part of me. And the people are saying, this is too hard. And they began to, to turn away because they're thinking in the physical. And Jesus would say, listen, the flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit and life. We can get so focused in this world, and even the church can get so focused on the material, uh, on the physical, and we seem like we're only blessed if, if we have the physical material blessings, and they are blessings from God. I don't want to dismiss that because every good gift comes from above. But here's the thing to remember. They are temporary. So once again, keep in mind, as a Christian, God wants us to prioritize and keep focus on the spiritual blessings. Jesus said, don't labor for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to everlasting life. When you look at the prayers of Paul in the New Testament, it was always for strength and to build up the inner man. It had to do with our relationship with the Lord, drawing close to him and looking to him. So Jesus is warning the disciples of the, the leaven, the evil, the corruption of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the type of spirit that is able to permeate and infect others. He says, don't you understand? 
Now, in Mark's gospel, it's recorded that Jesus said to his disciples, are your hearts hardened? Having eyes you don't see and ears you don't hear? I'm not talking about the fact that you forgot bread, but your understanding should be on, based on what I've already done in the feeding of the 5,000 and feeding of the 4,000. You think, what does that have to do with what he's talking about? Jesus was ministering to the people in the feeding of the 4,000. He was healing them. He was ministering to them. In the feeding of the 5,000, he was teaching them. Jesus looked at the multitudes, and the theme that we see in Matthew's gospel is that he had compassion for the multitude. And he would feed them physical food, but he fed them spiritual food. He cared for the people. It says in Mark's gospel that the common people heard him gladly. He, he really showed compassion and met their needs, and he was ministering in that way. What was the ministry of the Pharisees? It was hypocrisy. Remember that Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount that your righteousness must exceed the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees. Don't be like them, that they just, you know, want to be seen of men, that they pray to be noticed by people. They, they give and they blow the trumpets. They go to the marketplace when they fast so everybody can say, look how righteous that Pharisee is. He looks all gaunt. He said, don't do that. That here was Jesus that as he was ministering to the people, it's because he had a love for the people and concern for them. The Pharisees, they only showed contempt for the people. They didn't feed the people, they beat the people. As we're going through those books of the Old Testament, Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, and, and Jeremiah, as we went through his book, is ministering at the same time Ezekiel is, but the Lord rebuked the leaders of Israel and Judah because they were liking the shepherds that didn't feed the people. They were corrupt. They were greedy. They had a false message. They were encouraging people to continue in false worship of these idols. And they had a false hope that they were giving to the people. They said, God's not going to judge us. You know, it, it, we're Jerusalem. The temple, the temple. Nothing's going to happen to us. The captivity isn't going to last long. And so they were misleading the people. They're full of violence and corruption and perversion. We read all about that. And the Lord would say in Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 15, he said, the time's going to come that I will give you shepherds according to my heart who will feed you with knowledge and with understanding. And I love that verse, and I try to remember that verse. Because, Lord, number one, I just want to have a heart after you more than anything, to be right with you, to be humble before you. And I want to feed the people with knowledge and with understanding. That's the best thing I can do for you, to teach the Word of God in the environment of love, to be able to teach you with knowledge and understanding that you may be strong in the days in which we're living in. But it's also true for you. Because mom and dads, as you feed your children, that they may see that you have a heart for him, your grandchildren, Whatever state that you're in, the people that are linked to you in your life, whether it's coworkers or friends or other family members, that they can see that you have compassion, that you care for them. You know, we don't share with people to show them how smart we are. You know, people don't really care about that. You know the saying, that they don't care, you know, how much you know until they know how much you care. But you may be able to, in God's wisdom and direction, in grace, in simplicity, 
and with love to speak the truth because you have spiritual food to give to others, to be able to show them that you do care. That's the ministry, to have a heart after God and to feed others with knowledge and with understanding. You be a shepherd to the people that are around to you that you can be used of him in the days in which we're living in. So, Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for this encouragement that is given to us and reminders, Lord, that, that we are to be feeding upon you the spiritual food, be discerning of the days in which we are living in. Lord, that you would help us to have compassion towards others. Lord, we are the most blessed people because we can be established in truth. We can be strengthened, be strong in the Lord, be standing fast in faith because we are taking in your word. We can be discerning of the days in which we are in as we see this world just unraveling right before us, that we know that there's a glorious plan of your kingdom being established, that these things will come to pass. Just as all the prophecies concerning your first coming were fulfilled every dot and tittle, every prophecy concerning your second coming will be fulfilled. We have the assurance of Scripture, the truth of Scripture. And may it comfort us, help us to live in wisdom, not to faint in our journey, but, Lord, to be able to be strong in you. And in those times where we do become anxious, in those times where we're troubled, we go through the difficulties. We go through the, the Lord, losses, the pain in our hearts. That, Lord, that we can look to you, who's everything for us. And even as David, he wrote out in that wilderness, when my heart is overwhelmed, I can cry out to you, Lord, from the ends of the earth, because you care for us. Father, I do pray that if there is anyone listening online or happens to be here that you don't you're not right with the Lord you haven't come to Jesus that the invitation is given to come to put your faith in him he went to the cross to die for you for your sins and the Bible says that if you believe in your heart the Lord Jesus and confess with your mouth that God raised him from the dead you shall be saved as you come and ask for forgiveness, to repent, it just simply means turn direction. Quit going the direction you're going and turn to Jesus. He is your salvation. He is your hope. He's your means of forgiveness. He made atonement for your sins. He's the one that brings right relationship with God, reconciliation to the Father. You come in faith, just as you are, and you pray, Jesus, I come and I ask that you forgive me of my sins. I believe you died on the cross for me and you're alive, speaking to my heart. And I ask that you be my personal Lord and Savior. Forgive me. And Lord, I do want to know you and walk with you. I thank you for this new beginning and bringing me into the family of God in Jesus' name. And Father, I pray for all of us that we would leave here encouraged, looking up and rejoicing, for our redemption draws near keeping our eyes on you and, Lord, being comforted of the blessed hope that is before us, Lord. I thank you for this morning. I pray you keep all of us safe this week and as the cold continues, 
Take everyone home safely now. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.